Sorry. I uh I choked on my spit. I'm not gonna cut that. Um so what's up skaters? Uh today we are going to go over um my third essay that I posted earlier today on uh my blog, blogger.com, annoying question boy, um titled Apparently I don't know the title to my own stuff because I'm stupid. Why capital only causes suffering. I couldn't remember exactly what it was. Uh, yeah, so we're going to dive into that. But before we do that, uh, we're going to go over some other uh, kind of, not really like current events, but just like essentially like things that I am currently worried about uh, and kind of go into that for a little bit. But uh, of course, first off, we're going to go ahead and... Uh, Roll that sweet, sweet intro music. So, howdy folks. Welcome back to yet another episode of absolutely nobody's favorite podcast, uh, Annoying Question Boy. With me, your boy, Annoying Question Boy. Uh, first things first, I just want to kind of check in with everybody. Hope you're all doing, um, all right. Hope you're staying safe as you can. Uh, I hope, uh, to the best of what's available to you, uh, you're, you know, doing all right. Um, I, uh, I personally am lucky in the sense that I have a job still. I have uh, no worry about losing my home. I have food. I'm pretty privileged up here. Um, and I'm thankful for that. But, uh, I know that most people right now are not feeling that way. Um, I was watching a some more news video on YouTube. Um, and I don't even remember what the guy's name is. It's like one of the few that I've watched. He did a good job, whatever his name is. I apologize for not knowing it. Um, He showed, like, uh, I think it was a Reddit about, like, people that are going to get evicted soon or are, like, running out of money and stuff like that. I believe it's the subreddit Unemployment. Um, And there was a a few that he covered. um, But I went on myself and I kind of looked at a few and they're all, like, uh, staunchly similar. And it's very, very, very... um, I don't even know what the word for it would be. It's, um, well, it's terrifying uh, to think that so many people in this country, uh, because of a a global pandemic that their country was incapable of handling, or rather incapable of wanting to handle properly, um, combined with, you know, this late stage capitalism, this uh, necessity for uh, consumption, and this economy that essentially can only survive with a bunch of, I don't want to say luxury, uh, luxury spending uh, things, but I mean, the fast food, retail stores, like Walmart, places like that, like, to me, they're luxury because they're not 
necessary. Like, <clears throat> we could have kept the grocery stores open and shit like that. But because in America, we are so insanely poor across the board that many people can only afford fast food or maybe only have the time to get fast food because they have to go from job to job or they have children that they have to take care of or really whatever the circumstance is, we as a society have become dependent on things such as fast food. And therefore, it's a huge part or at least the idea of consumption that coincides with things like fast food restaurants um, kind of is necessary to exist because it kind of like runs the economy. I mean, look at how quickly our economy and our GDP dropped as soon as we closed everything. I mean, yeah, I understand that, like, that's kind of how economy works in most countries. But, like, I feel like what should be more important is, like, you know, the the essential jobs and the money that that's taking in. Um, I don't even know. Like, you still got to have consumption, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's very depressing that, like, we have a country whose basic needs cannot be met um, by themselves, and then when they can't meet those needs by their society and their government. But, I mean, we've seen time and time again that, you know, our government, America's government, has a real, truly laissez-faire approach to just about every social problem that you could think of. Which is fine, I guess, you know, I mean, what the fuck am I going to do about it? But at the same time, like, you, there's got to be a point where, like, not just me and what seems like seven other people are like, no, this isn't how it's supposed to work. Like, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't base your ability to stay alive on your ability to acquire a job, especially when there aren't any jobs to be had um, in a country where there's a 10% to a 15% joblessness rate and a bunch of jobs that, you know, we could have in the United States, well, it's cheaper to outsource them and, you know, everything like that. And the fact that even, you know, just the ability to have a job is what decides whether you're able to live a happy and comfortable life. That's all bullshit. It's all fucking bullshit. And the, the fact that, like, like I said... No more than what seems like me and seven other people are like, hey, um, you guys, I, I like want health care. Like, I want to be able to afford to go to the doctor when I ultimately get this virus that we're all going to get because, you know, everybody here is fucking stupid. And everybody else is like, you fucking... You, you fucking anarchist. You, you sociopath. What you think... You think people deserve to live? To live for free? What? No. Uh-uh. No. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. And it, it, it's just so baffling to me that you can have a country so full of people who think that their country's, you know, countless military bases across the world are there spreading American democracy, something that they value and cherish, and then, like, actively support an authoritarian government. 
you know, it, it, it just doesn't quite add up to me. Um, so yeah, there's that. And then, um, <clears throat> geez, Louise, my throat. I've been doing too many podcasts and shit lately. Um, oh man, I lost my train of thought. Oh man, whatever. I guess, I guess we can hop right into the essay. Um, if I remember later on, uh, you probably won't be hearing this because I'll have cut it and then just dubbed over it with the audio of what I wanted to talk about earlier. But until that happens, uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump right into the essay part. If you've already read what I've written or want to skip that and just kind of hear a synopsis, um, go ahead and skip ahead about, I think the clip is 27 minutes. So skip like 28 minutes ahead and then you'll, you'll figure it out from there. You're smart. Come on now. Believe in yourself. All right. Bye. See you in a little bit. <clears throat> so yeah, let's get um let's get right into it. So like I said, um this is titled Why Capital or sorry, Why Capital Only Causes Suffering. Um I should say, um, not to make any excuses or anything like that, but I wrote this in one sitting this morning. So like if it's not that great, like I'm sorry, but like just let me get to my point and I'll, I don't know, I'll be able to talk it out better. Also, I noticed when listening to my last recording about my last essay, reading my stuff out loud, that some of the sentences, like, by the time they got to the end, what I, like, started to say at the beginning didn't quite match up to the point that I made at the end. Um, two things. One, uh, I have, like, really bad, like anxiety but it, it has like ADHD like symptoms in that like when I'm typing or thinking something out and speaking about it I have like intrusive thoughts and then I like have to also say those so sometimes I'll like kind of lose myself in the middle of a sentence because something else will be like oh you gotta talk about this right now and also because I'm really high a lot of the time um <laughs> sorry mom uh, so let's go ahead and just get to reading. Uh, it's about six pages on my, uh, um, laptop, so it'll probably take about around a half an hour or so. Uh, so if you, that's not what you want to listen to right now, that's perfectly fine. I have a bunch of other, uh, podcasts that are probably a bit more entertaining. Go ahead and look for those. My last one about, uh, Trump's agenda was in my opinion, pretty terrifyingly funny, so go ahead and give that one a listen. Uh, right, so from the top. Capital in and of itself is evil, and in every way that it is used, it is evil. Every way it is stolen, it is evil. A world of humanity, empathy, kindness, and solidarity cannot exist in the same world where capital rules all. What is capital? Is it a material good or thing? Is it necessarily money in the same sense that we understand it, or is it more abstract? Where does it come from? If it isn't quote-unquote real, then what is it? Why do we spend our lives yearning for it? How, 
how is it such a meaningless thing that has become so intertwined and central to each of our lives? And how might, how might we escape this fate? In this writing, I intend to answer all of these questions to the best of my ability. My friends, you must first know that my understanding of these things is simply as someone who lives in the world where they dominate the landscape. I have little to no formal education on the matter, nor have I read enough to have the proper vocabulary to explain some of these things. But it is this that I find to be more meaningful because it allows me to speak without forced thought. It allows me to explain by experience rather than by practiced wisdom. And that is more, in my opinion, meaningful than the latter. I hope that I am able to express what it is I'm trying to eloquently enough what I'm trying to eloquently enough to allow some of you who might not already understand this concept to learn. And together we will do so with my necessity to learn things through this writing and because of it. We will advance our understandings together. What is capital? Well, to better ask this question, we must first analyze what it is that created a necessity for something such as this. I'm sure we can all come to the same conclusion that the invention or recognition of capital as a tangible good was due to the necessity to have a common value system placed on some form of a bargaining tool in order to purchase things, time of laborers, goods and services, etc. But the necessity for something such as a commonly valued material did not develop in did not develop the same in every city, every state, and sometimes not even within the same country. So then how is it that these things contain value? Would it not make sense if everybody in the world used gold to make purchases, or silver because these things themselves hold intrinsic value? But then again, why is it that these things, these metals that we spend lifetimes searching for, billions of more dollars on equipment and labor in order to find if they themselves also do not contain any inherent value in and of themselves. Um, sorry, I like lost my spot. It all comes back to the same place as race, religion, laws, and things of this nature. These things are what is called, or sorry, it should say these things are what are it should just say these things are called social constructs. Social constructionism is a theory that examines the idea of jointly constructed ideas or agreed upon assumptions that form an understanding of society. Things such as race are also a form of social construction because they themselves have no meaning or inherent difference other than simply the pigmentation of one's skin. But the understanding that this is what makes someone different, as well as the idea that someone's skin pigmentation can cause things like a higher chance to commit a crime or make someone dangerous, is where the socially constructed ideas come into play. And therefore, race itself is a socially constructed idea. Capital is the same way. And what I mean by this is that capital itself is useless. Look, for example, at a dollar bill within your wallet. Take it out and study it. Does there seem to be any lettering lined with gold? Is there any silver contained within the bill? Is there anything of actual value in your hand, or is it simply a piece of paper with a dead slave owner printed on it? 
The idea is that this dollar bill is worth one dollar because we, as well as the society that we live in and those who control it said, or, and those that control said society have deemed it to have that value and we've agreed upon it. That translates outwards as well when you go to use said dollar and are given a set group of things that you can purchase with that dollar. This is again a practice of social construction because you are depending on the person of which you are purchasing a thing or service from to also have the same value within their mind for that dollar bill. But the reason why this piece of paper itself does not in fact have any inherent value is shown by understanding things such as inflation. Because this inflation will take the value of a certain agreed-upon thing and make it so that now, somehow, it contains less value, so how can that be if we've already agreed that this bill is worth $1? The problem becomes now not what the dollar bill itself is worth, but instead what one can buy with $1. If capital was real and therefore had value in and of itself, then capital would remain stagnant in its value, and one would assume the goods and services that one might purchase with a a dollar might as well. But this is where things become a bit more complicated and where I might be stepping out of my depth a bit, but I will try to explain to the best of my ability. The stock market in the U.S. and around the world is something that economists, government officials, and many folks seem to pay a lot of attention to. Now, I have never had a stock, nor do I plan on buying any, so I have little working knowledge of the inner workings of the stock market. But from my understanding, the value of a stock within a company is interdependent on that company's current economic trends and their value as a company. So when the company's value goes up, so does the stock's value, and vice versa. But the problem becomes twofold in this scenario. Firstly, the issue of who is measuring this value. And the second is how any of that physical is how is any of that physically valued as capital. For example, let's say that I have a million dollars in the bank, sitting in an account accruing interest. When I get my monthly statement saying how much money is my in my account, that number is not a measurement of physical capital that is contained in some vault. That is simply numbers on a piece of paper or screen. Banks are only required to keep 20% of the physical capital within your account in your account. Therefore, if I have a million dollars in an account, I actually only probably at most have $200,000 in physical capital. Again, this is in dollar bills, probably, and does not actually hold any intrinsic value. So it's a bit of a two-for-one special on how this money actually contains no value. But if there's an economic collapse and my bank closes before they give me my million dollars back... Well, now I have no money. But the truth of the matter is, I had no money to begin with. 
Because not only was my million dollars simply numbers on a screen, and in that case, essentially a belief system, but again, the tangible capital that we use to measure value, dollar bills, themselves don't have value. So then I might ask, what is it that a billionaire has that I don't? If we both have money that contains zero value intrinsically, then why do some people own Amazon and I own a laptop from 2009? This is where the belief system doubles down and becomes even more of a confusing phenomenon. So take, for example, someone like Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon. He is valued at $199.35 billion U.S., But my assumption would be that he doesn't simply have a house full of $199.35 billion in valuable jewels and metals. And again, even if he did, what does that mean? To some, these might just be shiny rocks. So how is it then that someone can boast being a billionaire without actually being in possession of anything with that much intrinsic value. When it comes to outlandish amounts of money like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, the Walton family, and many others have, it becomes a simply signed off on trust system that says, I think that this person is worth this much money because of the things that they own and the amount of money they themselves or the things they own make in a year. But who decides that? Forbes? Bloomberg? Who are these companies to tell me what someone like Bill Gates is worth? I didn't hire them, nor do I trust them. So then why do I trust their analysis and understanding of someone's value as an individual? And by that, I mean their value in money or capital, not as a human being, of course. I cannot remember telling Forbes that I think that they should have the power to be able to decide how much celebrities' and billionaires' fortunes were worth. I don't remember telling anyone to decide even my own money's worth. So why, then, is it that I am not going into a car dealership with $5 in my hand and making an attempt to convince the dealers that it's worth a Maserati? This is where things become even more confusing. Sorry, I scrolled too far down. (laughs) When you look at capital as a socially constructed tool, you begin to notice that most of our day-to-day lives are decided upon by similar institutions, norms, and things outside of your control. For example, why does red mean stop? Is it because it is the most eye-catching color? I think that bright orange might have done the trick better. Maybe bright pink? And why is green the color for go? I'm not a fan of green, to be honest. I'd like it to be blue, so why can't it? Why do I go to work at 9 o'clock in the morning to a place that I don't want to work at, spend 8 or more hours there, leave, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, and do it again tomorrow? Why do I pay the water bill? Who am I paying that to? Why do I drive on the right-hand side of the road in America, but in Italy on the left? These are things that should bring to your attention an overwhelming problem which is the fact that we live within a society in which we are not in control whatsoever of. Not even down to the decision of what we spend our own capital that we've earned on. Then why is it, might I ask, that we agree to these things? 
Why do I agree to the fact that I must work a 40-hour work week to afford my living? Why don't I just simply steal? There is certainly not a scarcity of food, nor necessary goods for survival within America. So why do I keep paying exorbitant prices for things that I can simply pick up and walk out of a store with? Some might say for fear of punishment by law, but whose law? I didn't write any laws stating that people can't steal, nor was I ever given a document to sign stating that I agreed to the idea that that should be written into law. I never agreed to the use of police officers. I never agreed to the court's ability to make decisions about these things. I never agreed to the creation of jails or prisons and certainly never agreed to being sentenced to spend time in either one of these places. The only thing that I've done in this scenario is made the decision to take the food or other goods off of a shelf within a store and leave. Why is it then that many of these things that I didn't agree to can somehow affect me? Well, to not sound like a true meme lord, it's because we live in a society. A society in and of itself is also a social construct but that's for another time. We live within a society, a society that of which was founded by someone or many someones. This society that was founded was founded with certain rules, constructs, ideals, and practices that are deemed acceptable by those who founded said society. The practice of the society from there on out is to determine whether or not these decided upon norms and constructs are acceptable and equal and whether or not society can operate as it must while agreeing to these things. Most of the time, it can, because usually those who create these norms and constructs recognize their necessity within society and their use. But then why do we have laws like jaywalking? For certain situations, sure it can be a necessary law to follow, but in most cases, people don't run out in the middle of the road during rush hour and cause large-scale pileups. Why then do we pay people to write tickets for people running across an empty street? Why do we have an economy where our purchasing tool can lose value over time? Why do we have a society that people can amass $199.35 billion while there are people dying in the streets from hunger or thirst, both of which are a direct cause of their lack of capital? Well, folks, I hate to break it to you, but our society that we live in is built upon ideas, norms, and constructs from hundreds of years ago. To me, this doesn't make sense, but obviously I was not giving a deciding role. But I would assume that most of you agree that these things certainly don't make sense and surely aren't, quote, fail, fair or, quote, equal. So why do you agree to them? Why do people agree to laws that ban homeless people from breaking into empty homes to avoid the weather or even to simply have a place to lie their head? Why do I agree to laws that say a person caught with a gram or so of weed in their pocket can go to jail for five years? Why do any of us agree to norms that make it so that we have to pay thousands of dollars to go to college? 
There are clear examples of these things being untrue, or rather, not the norm in other societies. So why do we continue to support, obey, and enforce them? And this is where we're going to take an even deeper dive. So I hope I can stay on track and make this as understandable as possible. Because, again, I'm working with my own understandings that I have gained to being gained due to being alive in America, not that a school or education has given, given me. So bear with me, my friend. Society, as I have previously stated, in and of itself is in fact a social construct. Again, a social construct is something that the overwhelming majority of a certain group agrees upon within said group, such as the value of a certain currency or what the word literally means. We as Americans have all agreed to the social construct that the United States of America exists. It in, it in fact does not necessarily. Considering first this is stolen land that was already being occupied by Native Americans, then how can this be America? How can it honestly be anything other than land? There is no land that I've ever seen that itself said United States of America. So we know that this idea of America came from thin air and was simply something of an overwhelming majority agreed to uphold as real. But again, just like capital, just like race, America itself does not exist anywhere other than the dreamscape land that you and I have convinced ourselves is real. Now, I know to some this might sound like a bunch of ridiculous ramblings. To some, or sorry, that says, to, that says, I'll read it exactly as it says, and then I'll read it how it's supposed to. It says, now I know to some this might sound like a bunch of ridiculous rambi- ramblings to some of you. So obviously, you get what I'm trying to say. But think about it in this way. Say I hand you a rock and tell you it's a sandwich. You'd probably laugh at me and say, no, this is a rock. But that rock doesn't have the word rock engraved into the side of it. Nor is there a sign with a picture of the rock nearby that says underneath it, this is a rock. Not to mention, in both of these scenarios, that again could be decided by someone other than yourself and therefore is not inherently true. But if your whole life you lived in a society where people ate rocks... You were taught as a young child that this thing, a rock, is actually, in fact, called a sandwich. Your whole life, it's been referred to as a sandwich. Then the next day, oh, then, then one day, you go to the next town over and offer someone one, and they tell you, this isn't a sandwich, this is a rock. But you yourself have spent your whole life within a world where the agreed-upon idea of what a rock is was, in fact, a sandwich. And to this point, no one had ever questioned that nor disagreed with you. So who's telling the truth? Is it a rock or is it a sandwich? If you said it's a rock, good. You're showing yet again to be the pawn of your environment. Thinking for yourself, never. It in fact is nothing inherently. It is a rock because that is what we Americans decided it was to be called. I'm not, I would like to take a a side note here and say I'm not Americans decided to name rocks rock. 
I'm, I'm just saying I live in America and we call it rocks. So, like, we agreed to that. Um, but if instead all throughout American history we had eaten rocks, called rocks sandwiches, etc., then in fact you would have said that it was, of course, a sandwich. This, my friend, is one of the most amazing and confusing parts of life within a society. The understanding that realistically nothing is quote-unquote true and it is simply agreed upon. That is socially constructed things, not things such as math, science, etc. The fact of the matter is even more difficult, however, because... Oh, oops, scrolled too far. Sorry. Because in the society in which we live, things like capital, net worth, billionaires, etc. are all agreed upon without question. Many of us exist in a world not of our own creation nor decisions, and yet allow it to mold us and make us follow its guidelines. You and I, my friend, go to work every day if we're lucky enough to have a job. We come home to our homes if we're lucky enough to have them, eat at quote-unquote dinner time, and go do what we need to or want to before going to bed and doing it all again tomorrow. Why? Would the police show up to your home and evict you simply because you didn't have money? Money that itself isn't even real? Surely that would only exist in a dystopian novel about an authoritarian police state considering human beings' necessity for shelter. Surely, again, if you didn't have the capital to buy food, no one would imprison you for taking some off of the shelf that nobody else has bought, considering it is the, a, human's being, a human being's need to eat for strength and energy and to survive. And again, surely, of course, no one would privatize something as central to the survival as human beings, such as water, right? And if they did, they wouldn't charge for it, right? Society as we know it has become a cancer, and a deadly one at that. But I write this all to tell you that these things are not inherently fact. They are not natural, and they are not impossible to change. But they are simply what we as citizens of America have been told we must to agree to. And by whom? Our elected officials? Now, how is it that we would elect people that would allow such evil things, such as the arresting of someone for simply not having a home? Who would vote for someone who would allow people to die in the streets from hunger while others hoard amounts of wealth that no one could even frivolously spend in a lifetime? Surely, no American who believes in liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness would vote for someone, or even beyond that, allow someone to be put into an elected position that would allow any of these things to happen. Right? In conclusion, capital is not real. We as Americans have agreed to a construct to a society whose main goal is to exploit us. Why? Because we have been led to the understanding that this is the way things are, and therefore the way things are meant to be. But in the grand scheme of things, America is one of the richest countries in the world, with a homeless population over 500,000, with over 1.1 million homes empty. 
We are a society of 40-hour work weeks and still in an inability to afford life-saving surgeries. We are a society that allows people to go homeless, hungry, thirsty, etc., and blame it on their own inability to acquire capital. How dare we? How dare we be so vile, so disgusting, so inhumane as to allow someone, anyone, to go hungry while we as a country throw $165 billion worth of food out each and every year? It is not as if we do not have the ability to solve every problem facing this country, right? My final thought is this. If you are someone who can live in a world, a country such as this, then I hope and pray each day that I live that you never have to see the same fate as those on the street you won't even allow your children to make eye contact with. To the end of capital to the end of this world. May we fight each day to see no human go hungry. May we fight each day to see no human go without water nor shelter. In a world where none of us asked to be born, how do we punish those who simply were born than, with less than ourselves? Alrighty, so if you are still here, you have made it to the synopsis part. Let's go ahead and let everyone else uh, catch up who is skipping ahead, uh, because they either read it or didn't want to hear me read it because they just kind of want to get like, I don't know. I mean, there's probably no one listening to this, so who cares? Um, so yeah. Oh, thanks guys. Thanks for finally getting here. We're just getting started. We waited for you. Don't worry. Alrighty. So from the top. So the beginning of this starts with me just simply talking about the fact that capital itself is evil and in a world of humanity, we would not allow something like capital to exist. Um, then I talk about what is capital uh, and the sense that capital itself isn't actually real. It's a social construct and it's a value system that, you know, the people in power of us have simply agreed to. Um, and then I kind of just give a, uh, brief disclosure that I, I don't have formal education on this. So this is all just based off of my own experience. Uh, then the first part is titled, what is capital? Um, I kind of go through and talk about why it is that capital itself isn't actually, uh, something that contains intrinsic value but it, in fact, is only valued at what we as a society say it is valued at, or rather what those in charge of the society that we live in say it's valued at. Um, and then I, I kind of relate this to the fact that things like race are also social constructs because someone's skin color doesn't actually, in fact, mean anything other than what you assume that skin color means. For example, a black person is not more dangerous simply because they have black skin. Um, and you assuming that someone is dangerous because they have black skin, you, first of all, you're racist. And second of all, that has to do with what you have been taught black skin means and what you've accepted to continue believing. 
Um, the same with any race, you know, there's stereotypes and stigmas uh, assigned to every race, but none of those are intrinsically true, um, or I should say inherently true, because they're not true every time, and therefore they're not a truth. Um... Uh, I talk about the fact that, like, if capital was real, why would we create a system where it can lose value? Um, that makes no sense because eventually you would run out of capital and then, you know, your capital isn't valued as much. And then, like, there's some people who have a lot of capital that just, like, kind of hold on to it and don't really use it. Um, so then the rest of us are like, oh, geez, I wish my capital was worth more than it's it's worth. But I guess I'll go to I'll just work another 15 hours this week, even though I have three kids and a wife and, a, you know, ju I don't want to be at work. I hate this job. I actually just went to school because this is what my dad told me to do. And it's made me pretty good money so far. You know, something like that. Um, uh, then I talk about the fact that like money in a bank is just simply uh, a number on a screen or a piece of paper because banks are only legally required to hold 20% uh, of the physical capital within your account, within your account. Um, so like if you had a million dollars in your bank, you probably at most probably only have $200,000 in quote unquote valuable capital. Um, then I talk about the fact that like... Um, you know, someone like Jeff Bezos is valued at $199.35 billion U.S., but, like, you know, who who said that? Who? But I, I didn't say that, um, and I certainly wouldn't want that to be true. I mean, if I'm going to say anyone's worth that amount of money, it's going to be me, right, obviously, within the society we exist in. So I kind of said, like, what if he doesn't have that in some kind of physical, valuable good, then why is it that he can go to a, Mas uh, a Maserati dealership, sign a, a check for a Maserati, and <clears throat> that Maserati is now his, but I can't go to the store and try to convince someone that my $5 is worth a Maserati? Um uh, then I kind of go into the fact that, like, there's social constructs all over our world. Like, why does red mean stop? Why do we go to work at 9 o'clock in the morning to a place I don't want to work, spend eight or more hours there, leave, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, and do it again tomorrow? Why do I pay bills? Why do I drive on the right-hand side of the road in America but on the left in Italy? Things of that nature. And then I kind of translate that into the fact that, like, why do I go to work in order to earn money in order to buy food when there's a, a store right next door full of food that I could just walk into and take food from? I mean, surely you wouldn't create a, 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 a group or a force that would uh, punish people for taking food when they can't afford to buy it, especially not when we throw away $165 billion worth of it every single year in this country, right? Surely we wouldn't do that. Um, and then I talked about, like, uh, how is it that we have 1.1 million homes or more in this country that are empty, but somehow 500,000 homeless people? Um, and then I talk about how, like, these things, again aren't true. Um, they're just something that we agreed upon. And then I said, uh, <clears throat> uh, 
Uh, Well, folks, I hate to break it to you, but our society that we live in is built upon ideas, norms, and constructs from hundreds of years ago. Um, And that's true, but I mean, even then, a lot of these norms and truths, in every society that has existed, you've had norms and truths and things of that matter that make no sense, but are only used for exploitation. Um... Uh, then I kind of go into the fact that, like, how do we call this the United States of America when it's actually Native American land? Um, but none of the land says United States of America, like, written in it, like, that grows naturally, so it's actually just land. Um, and then I kind of go into a little, um, uh... Metaphor where if you're told your whole life that a rock is actually a sandwich... Your whole town, everybody eats rocks. They call it a sandwich. You go a town over, you offer someone a rock. You call it a sandwich. The person says, no, that's a rock. Who's right? Um, And that just kind of points out these kind of... I don't want to call them discrepancies, but these kind of things that you can point to and say, all right, that clearly doesn't make sense, so why do we keep doing it? Um, like, arresting people for not having homes. Why does that make sense? Why are we paying people to arrest folks who jaywalk? That's another question I ask. Obviously, most people, you know, aren't going to run in front of a car that's coming on. So, therefore, they probably, you know, shouldn't really need to create a law because, like, most people wouldn't run out into the middle of traffic. So, like... Now you have a law that exists and you pay people to enforce a law for things like running across an empty street. Um, Then I kind of wrap it right up and say, like, uh, actually, I'll I'll read this because I think that this this part, um, I'm actually going to read most of the conclusion. It's very short. So just just bear with me. Um, Now, how is it that we would elect people that would allow such things such as evil such that would allow such evil things such as the arresting of someone for simply not having a home? Who would vote for someone who would allow people to die in the streets from hunger while also allowing others to hoard amounts of wealth that no one could even frivolously spend in a lifetime? Surely, no American who believes in liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness would vote for someone, or even beyond that, allow someone to be put into an elected government position that would allow any of these things to happen. Um, I'll skip to the next paragraph and then I'll read the very final paragraph. Um, my final thought is this. If you are someone who can live in a world, a country such as this, then I hope and pray each day that I, I live that you never have to see the same fate as those on the street you won't even allow your children to make eye contact with. To the end of capital, to the end of this world. May we fight each day to see no human go hungry. May we fight each day to see no human go
go without water nor shelter. In a world where none of us asked to be born, how do we punish those who are simply were born with less than ourselves? So, yeah, that's kind of like a brief synopsis of it. If you want to go ahead and read it yourself, you can go on blogger.com, uh, look up Annoying Question Boy, and it's titled Why Capital Only Causes Suffering. Um, if you want to just listen to me read it, go ahead and skip like 30 minutes back. You'll probably find it. Uh, yeah, if you're listening at this point, I appreciate you very much. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to pretend like I know anything and tell people what I have to think. Uh, If you disagreed with anything I had to say, I mean, of course, you can message me or anything like that on any of my social media and we can have a discussion. Um, But again, I would like to say that this is from an experience-based knowledge, not an educated-based knowledge, um, which to some might seem... Um, antithetical to some of my personality traits that say like you can't have a, an opinion unless it's educated and based in fact but my facts are my education and my life is my facts so no one can deny me or you that ever because um, you are you and they are they and no one will ever be you or exist as you so therefore no one can tell you what is true to you um, yeah, if you liked what you heard, I appreciate it. Go ahead and listen to some more of my stuff. If you didn't like what you heard, again, I appreciate you for listening. Go ahead and listen to some of my other stuff. Maybe you'll like that. Uh, if you want something like this, but in written version, I have a blog where you can also find the essay that I read in this episode. Blogger.com, go ahead and search for Annoying Question Boy. Um, it's also linked in a lot of my social medias. I also have a YouTube channel. Annoying Question Boy. You can find that on YouTube. I have four videos. They're all pretty bad, but you can watch them. Um, I I have Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. Annoying Question Boy. You can follow me or not. I would like it if you did. It would feel cool. I would love to see myself get more followers because I would feel important. But if you don't, that's also cool. I mean, I will probably silently hate you, but that doesn't really matter because I don't know who you are because you don't follow me. Thank you again for listening. I hope everyone is staying safe, staying healthy, and staying as above water as you can. Again, um, I have been Annoying Question Boy. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful day or night or whatever time it is where you are. Love you all. Goodbye.